Chapter Eight, Part Three of Celebrated Crimes, Volume Three, Mary Stuart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dini Stain, Kelowna, Canada. Celebrated Crimes, Volume Three, Mary Stuart by Alexandre Dumas, Chapter Eight, Part Three. In spite of this promise, the French lords waited two days more. At last, on the second day, towards evening, two English gentlemen sought out Monsieur Lefebvre in London, and viva voce, without any letter to confirm what they were charged to say, announced to him, on behalf of their queen, that in reply to the letter that they had written her, and to do justice to the desire they had shown to obtain for the condemned, a reprieve during which they would make known the decision to the king of france her majesty would grant twelve days as this was elizabeth's last word and it was useless to lose time in pressing her further monsieur de genlis was immediately dispatched to his majesty the king of france to whom besides the long dispatch of monsieur de chateauneuf and de Believre, which he was charged to remit he was to say viva voce what he had seen and heard relative to the affairs of queen mary during the whole time he had been in england henry the third responded immediately with a letter containing fresh instructions for messieurs de chateauneuf and de Believre. but in spite of all the haste monsieur de genlis could make he did not reach london till the fourteenth day that is to say forty-eight hours after the expiration of the delay granted nevertheless as the sentence had not yet been put into execution messieurs de Believre and de chateauneuf set out at once for greenwich castle some miles from london where the queen was keeping christmas to beg her to grant them an audience in which they could transmit to her majesty their king's reply but they could obtain nothing for four or five days however as they were not disheartened and returned unceasingly to the charge january sixth messieurs de Believre and de chateauneuf were at last sent for by the queen as on the first occasion they were introduced with all the ceremonial in use at the time and found elizabeth in an audience chamber the ambassadors approached her greeted her and monsieur de Believre began to address to her with respect but at the same time with firmness his master's remonstrances Elizabeth listened to them with an impatient air, fidgeting in her seat. Then, at last, unable to control herself, she burst out, rising and growing red with anger. Monsieur de Villievre, she said, are you really charged by the king, my brother, to speak to me in such a way? Yes, madame, replied Monsieur de Villievre, bowing. I am expressly commanded to do so. And have you this command under his hand? continued Elizabeth yes madame returned the ambassador with the same calmness and the king my master your good brother has expressly charged me in letters signed by his own hand to make to your majesty the remonstrances which i have had the honour to address to you well cried elizabeth no longer containing herself i demand of you a copy of that letter signed by you and reflect that you will answer for each word that you take away or add madame answered monsieur de billievre it is not the custom of the kings of france 
or of their agents to forge letters or documents you will have the copies you require to-morrow morning and i pledge their accuracy on my honour enough sir enough said the queen and signing to everyone in the room to go out she remained nearly an hour with messieurs de chateauneuf and de Bellievre. no one knows what passed in that interview except that the queen promised to send an ambassador to the king of france who she promised would be in paris if not before at least at the same time as monsieur de Bellievre, and would be the bearer of her final resolve as to the affairs of the queen of scotland elizabeth then withdrew giving the french envoys to understand that any fresh attempt they might make to see her would be useless on the thirteenth of january the ambassadors received their passports and at the same time noticed that a vessel of the queen's was awaiting them at dover the very day of their departure a strange incident occurred a gentleman named stafford a brother of elizabeth's ambassador to the king of france presented himself at m de trapp's one of the officials in the french chancellery telling him that he was acquainted with a prisoner for debt who had a matter of the utmost importance to communicate to him and that he might pay the greater attention to it he told him that this matter was connected with the service of the king of france and concerned the affairs of queen mary of scotland m de trapp although mistrusting this overture from the first did not want in case his suspicions deceived him to have to reproach himself for any neglect on such a pressing occasion he repaired then with mr stafford to the prison where he who wished to converse with him was detained when he was with him the prisoner told him that he was locked up for a debt of only twenty crowns and that his desire to be at liberty was so great that if m de chateauneuf would pay that sum for him he would undertake to deliver the queen of scotland from her danger by stabbing elizabeth to this proposal m de trapp who saw the pitfall laid to the french ambassador was greatly astonished and said that he was certain that m de chateauneuf would consider as very evil every enterprise having as its aim to threaten in any way the life of queen elizabeth or the peace of the realm then not desiring to hear more he returned to m de chateauneuf and related to him what had just happened m de chateauneuf who perceived the real cause of this overture immediately said to mr stafford that he thought it strange that a gentleman like himself should undertake with another gentleman such treachery and requested him to leave the embassy at once and never to set foot there again then stafford withdrew and appearing to think himself a lost man he implored m de trapp to allow him to cross the channel with him and the french envoys m de trapp referred him to m de chateauneuf who answered mr stafford directly that he had not only forbidden him his house but also all relations with any person from the embassy that he must thus very well see that his request could not be granted he added that if he were not restrained by the consideration he desired to keep to his brother the earl of stafford his colleague he would at once denounce his treason to elizabeth the same day stafford was arrested after this conference m de trapp set out to rejoin his travelling companions who were some hours in advance of him 
when on reaching dover he was arrested in his turn and brought back to prison in london interrogated the same day monsieur de trappe frankly related what had passed appealing to monsieur de chateauneuf as to the truth of what he said the day following there was a second interrogatory and great was his amazement when on requesting that the one of the day before should be shown him he was merely shown according to custom in english law counterfeit copies in which were avowals compromising him as well as monsieur de chateauneuf he objected and protested refused to answer or to sign anything further and was taken back to the tower with redoubled precaution the object of which was the appearance of an important accusation next day monsieur de chateauneuf was summoned before the queen and there confronted with stafford who impudently maintained that he had treated of a plot with monsieur du trappe and a certain prisoner for debt a plot which aimed at nothing less than endangering the queen's life monsieur de chateauneuf defended himself with the warmth of indignation but elizabeth had too great an interest in being unconvinced even to attend to the evidence she then said to monsieur de chateauneuf that his character of ambassador alone prevented her having him arrested like his accomplice monsieur de trappe and immediately dispatching as she had promised an ambassador to king henry three she charged him not to excuse her for the sentence which had just been pronounced and the death which must soon follow but to accuse monsieur de chateauneuf of having taken part in a plot of which the discovery alone had been able to decide her to consent to the death of the queen of scotland certain as she was by experience that so long as her enemy lived her existence would be hourly threatened on the same day elizabeth made haste to spread not only in london but also throughout england the rumour of the fresh danger from which she had escaped so that when two days after the departure of the french envoys the scottish ambassadors who as one sees had not used much speed arrived the queen answered them that their request came unseasonably at a time when she had just had proof that so long as mary stuart existed her own elizabeth's life was in danger robert melville wished to reply to this but elizabeth flew into a passion saying that it was he melville who had given the king of scotland the bad advice to intercede for his mother and that if she had such an adviser she would have him beheaded to which melville answered that at the risk of his life he would never spare his master good advice and that on the contrary he who would counsel a son to let his mother perish would deserve to be beheaded upon this reply elizabeth ordered the scotch envoys to withdraw telling them that she would let them have her answer three or four days passed and as they heard nothing further they asked again for a parting audience to hear the last resolve of her to whom they were sent the queen then decided to grant it and all passed as with monsieur de blievre in recrimination and complaints finally elizabeth asked them what guarantee they would give for her life in the event of her consenting to pardon the queen of scotland the envoys responded that they were authorized to make pledges in the name of the king of scotland their master and all the lords of his realm that mary stuart should renounce in favor of her son all her claims upon the english crown and that she should give as security for this undertaking 
the king of france and all the princes and lords his relations and friends to this answer the queen without her usual presence of mind cried what are you saying melville that would be to arm my enemy with two claims while he has only one does your majesty then regard the king my master as your enemy replied melville he believed himself happier madame and thought he was your ally no no elizabeth said blushing it is a way of speaking and if you find a means of reconciling everything gentlemen to prove to you on the contrary that i regard king james VI as my good and faithful ally i am quite ready to incline to mercy seek then on your side added she while i seek on mine with these words she went out of the room and the ambassadors retired with the light of the hope of which she had just let them catch a glimpse the same evening a gentleman at the court sought out the master of gray the head of the embassy as if to pay him a civil visit and while conversing said to him that it was very difficult to reconcile the safety of queen elizabeth with the life of her prisoner that besides if the queen of scotland were pardoned and she or her son ever came to the english throne there would be no security for the lord's commissioners who had voted her death that there was then only one way of arranging everything that the king of scotland should himself give up his claims to the kingdom of england that otherwise according to him there was no security for elizabeth in saving the life of the scottish queen the master of grey then looking at him fixedly asked him if his sovereign had charged him to come to him with this talk but the gentleman denied it saying that all this was on his own account and in the way of opinion elizabeth received the envoys from scotland once more and then told them that after having well considered she had found no way of saving the life of the queen of scotland while securing her own that accordingly she could not grant it to them to this declaration the master of grey replied that since it was then he was in this case ordered by his master to say that they protested in the name of king james that all that had been done against his mother was of no account seeing that queen elizabeth had no authority over a queen as she was her equal in rank and birth that accordingly they declared that immediately after their return and when their master should know the result of their mission he would assemble his parliament and send messengers to all of the christian princes to take counsel with them as to what could be done to avenge her whom they could not save then elizabeth again flew into a passion saying that they had certainly not received from their king a mission to speak to her in such a way but they thereupon offered to give her this protest in writing under their signatures to which elizabeth replied that she would send an ambassador to arrange all that with her good friend and ally the king of scotland but the envoys then said that their master would not listen to any one before their return upon which elizabeth begged them not to go away at once because she had not yet come to her final decision upon this matter on the evening following this audience lord hingley having come to see the master of grey and having seemed to notice some handsome pistols which came from italy grey directly he had gone asked this nobleman's cousin to take them to him as a gift from him delighted with this pleasant commission the young man wished to perform it the same evening and went to the queen's palace 
where his relative was staying to give him the present which he had been told to take to him but hardly had he passed through a few rooms than he was arrested searched and the arms he was taking were found upon him although these were not loaded he was immediately arrested only he was not taken to the tower but kept a prisoner in his own room next day there was a rumor that the scotch ambassadors had wanted to assassinate the queen in their turn and that pistols given by the master of grey himself had been found on the assassin this bad faith could not but open the envoy's eyes convinced at last that they could do nothing for poor mary stuart they left her to her fate and set out next day for scotland scarcely were they gone when elizabeth sent her secretary davison to sir amyas paulet he was instructed to sound him again and with regard to the prisoner afraid in spite of herself of a public execution the queen had reverted to her former ideas of poisoning or assassination but sir amyas paulet declared that he would let no one have access to mary but the executioner who must in addition be the bearer of a warrant perfectly in order davison reported this answer to elizabeth who while listening to him stamped her foot several times and when he had finished unable to control herself cried god's death there's a dainty fellow always talking of his fidelity and not knowing how to prove it elizabeth was then obliged to make up her mind she asked davison for the warrant he gave it to her and forgetting that she was the daughter of a queen who had died on the scaffold she signed it without any trace of emotion then having affixed it to the great seal of england go she said laughing tell walsingham that all is ended for queen mary but tell him with precautions for as he is ill i am afraid he will die of grief when he hears it the jest was the more atrocious in that walsingham was known to be the queen of scotland's bitterest enemy towards evening of that day saturday the fourteenth beale walsingham's brother-in-law was summoned to the palace the queen gave into his hands the death warrant and with it an order addressed to the earls of shrewsbury kent rutland and other noblemen in the neighborhood of fotheringay to be presented at the execution beale took with him the london executioner whom elizabeth had had dressed in black velvet for this great occasion and set out two hours after he had received his warrant End of chapter eight